You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind is set on the flesh, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin and the spirit is life because of righteousness, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Good to see you. Welcome to Mercy View. My name is Brad, one of the pastors here. And if you're visiting with us tonight, I just want to echo Ryan's welcome to you. We are honored that you've chosen to worship with us. Pray you are encouraged so far in your time with us tonight. I actually have one more announcement I need to tack on to Ryan's uh, announcements. And that is to uh, just remind you that beginning next Sunday, we have the first of three Sundays in a row where we want to invite you, if you have been hanging out with us here at Mercy View, you have been tracking with us, you've been thinking, like, I'd like to know more, maybe even considering what it would mean for you to become a part of our church um, as a member. That's what we we call that partnership here at Mercy View. We want to invite you to come and be a part of our partnership seminar that begins next Sunday. It'll be here at Memorial Baptist, uh, 3.30 to 4.45 in the Fellowship Hall. And we would love to have you come and join us. Now, you can come and hang out with us and, and just learn and just kind of peek over the fence. That's fine. There's no, like, deal at the end of all of this that you have to become a partner. Most people that walk through the process do. But if you're just new and you want to learn more about who we are, we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. That's next Sunday, beginning uh, uh, at 3.30 in the Fellowship Hall. I'll be leading that first session. You'll hear from some other leaders and the success of Sundays. Look forward to seeing maybe some of you guys there. All right, when I was a kid, one of the things that uh, were, were all the craze were these pictures uh, that uh, you would look at these pictures, they, they look like a jumbled mess, but if you could adjust your eyes and kind of stare at it for a little while, you would begin to see a picture emerge. I don't know if you remember this, um, they, I think they're still around. In fact, when I was a kid, a version of this were in all of those uh, magic eye books. You guys remember that? 
But the ones that I actually remember uh, are the ones that just kind of look like it's something that, you know, looked like an eye exam or something. It was something that, that there was really no discernible uh, thing happening on it. But if you would look at the picture and, and focus and kind of let your eyes go to different places, eventually you would find a picture emerge. It's this sort of picture would float up, right, up out of the, the picture. That picture, those pictures are called autostereograms. For those of you that want to know that. Um, but for me, I didn't know what that meant, didn't care about that, didn't even care about the science behind it. But uh, as I've g- gotten older, I've, I've remembered that time and it was just like everybody was wanting to get those pictures and try to see what was in those pictures. It was all, all the craze. And I just remember being so determined as a kid to not give up to see the picture. Right? Some of them took longer than others. And I would just sit there and look with such vigilance and intentionality. And, and sure enough, again, sometimes after quite a while, I would see that picture emerge. And it was thrilling, right? Because I never knew with the next picture if I'd actually see it. Um, but I did. And, and that 3D scene would emerge. And uh, I was pretty easy to amuse as a kid, I guess. So it wasn't a big deal. But like, I, I just loved those pictures. You know, our spiritual lives are a lot like stereo, excuse me, auto stereograms. We treat the truths of who we are in Christ like the 2D versions of those pictures. We see a jumbled mess when we look inside our hearts or we look at the Bible and we see uh, what looks to us as a list of rules and requirements and ways to keep God in our good graces. We don't look at the Bible and see ourselves clearly. We begin to doubt the things that we even read that the scriptures are saying about us that, that are true. And we end up settling for ideas that are less have the proper perspective. If you have your Bibles, keep them open to Romans chapter 8. Tonight we continue in our series through the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans in a series that we're calling Reign of Grace. Now, actually, we are going to finish up chapter 8 here this month, and then we'll actually take a break from Romans for a while and return back to it in the fall. But when we return back in the fall in Romans 9, we'll be back in this series called Reign of Grace. But we are continuing to walk through chapter 8. And I said this last week in many ways, I think chapter 8 is the summit of Romans, the book of Romans. And tonight we are going to continue to look at the way in which one of the most important and freeing statements in all of the Bible inform us in our life. And it's the statement we looked at last week, the verse we looked at last week, and here it is. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we're going to look tonight at how that spiritual reality begins to play itself out in our lives Practically, And as we do that, I want to invite you to see two things tonight. And the first is this. Our acceptance in Christ leads us to freely obey. Our acceptance...
And then secondly, preaching the gospel to ourselves brings life and peace. Preaching the gospel to ourselves brings life and peace. Look with me, if you would, beginning there at verse 4. Now remember, up to this point in Romans 8, Paul has been talking about things that are related to our standing or our position as a believer. And he's actually done this in previous chapters as well. But at the beginning of chapter 2, us, that if you are in Christ, you are not condemned. And we said that last week, the how of that is found in verse 3, which you just heard Marla read. We are not condemned because the condemnation that we deserved was placed on Jesus and the righteousness that we didn't deserve but that Jesus perfectly lived out in his humanity and secured through his death has now been given to us through faith in this great exchange, his righteousness for our sin. Now, as we come to verse four today, the focus shifts to the practical implications of that, of that spiritual reality. And I want you to see what he says there um, in verse four. Paul says that the work of Jesus in the, in the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and what he accomplished there, he did all of that, look there, to, so that in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And then he says, who walk not according to the flesh, but to the spirit. So to say that the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in us is to say that Jesus, by virtue of his life, virtue of his death, kept the law perfectly. And he satisfied the demands of its righteousness. And now, and this is amazing, this work on behalf of Jesus secures for us the ability to no longer walk according to the flesh, but walk instead according to, he says, the Spirit. But what does that mean? Well, to walk in the flesh means that before Christ, your spiritual condition was one in which you were walking, or uh, when, when the scriptures here are using the word walk, you could substitute the word live, living according to what came naturally to you. And what was that? Your own sinful desires. We did not have the motivation or the power before Christ to say no to sin. We did not have the ability when temptation came towards us to resist it. But because of what Jesus does in his perfectly righteous life and death, and when we place our faith and trust in that work, we receive a new life. We become a new creation. And this is important. God implants himself in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And that presence of God that lives within us then continues to enable us to tap into a power to live in this new spiritual reality that we've been given. So the first thing I want you to see this evening is this. Because of that, what then happens for us is our acceptance in Christ leads us to freely obey. Let me tell you what I mean by that. This spiritual reality of, of being accepted in Christ and then moving towards obedience in Christ 
is one of the most important spiritual realities that we have to grasp as Christians. In fact, if we get the order wrong, um, we, we will find ourselves frustrated in our spiritual walk. And I don't want you to be frustrated, so let, let's talk about this. Let me, let me tell you what, what this means to, to see how acceptance leads to obedience. If you look at the New Testament, just the, the New Testament alone, there's, there's instructions in the Old Testament, commandments in the Old Testament. Just let's say that just the New Testament alone, the writers of the New Testament, particularly Paul and others in the, in the epistles, they are constantly giving Christians instructions. They are giving commandments, they are giving directives all over the place on how we are to live. And when Paul says here that we are to live according to the Spirit, he is saying that there are ways, yes, that you and I are called to live after God has saved us. Paul is trying to help us understand here that, again, we said this a little bit last week, the order of all of this matters. Uh, Pastor, author Tim Keller says it this way, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Not the other way around. I, I obey so that I can get God's acceptance, but rather I'm already accepted, therefore I obey. Or if we put it in the context of the beginning of Romans 8, we could say it this way, I am not condemned, therefore my obedience is not a means to earn God's favor, but it is in response to the freedom I already have. We've said in our series that we are not reconciled to God through our efforts, right? We are not uh, made new because our record somehow meets the criteria that we've created, and, and, and yet we have heard from Paul. He has said, it's you're reconciled to God through the efforts and record of Christ. Christians are those who trust in Christ for their acceptance with God rather than in their own moral character or their own commitment or, or performance. And here's why this is so important. If we don't understand this, we will come to the commandments of the New Testament and either think that their purpose is for us to obey so that we can stay in good favor with God or we will think that their their um their intention is to somehow, because of grace, we, we can absolve ourselves from obeying them. Like we look at the commands of God, we think God is gracious, God is forgiving. I know that I'm being commanded to do this thing, but, but uh, I'm just going to not obey because God will forgive me anyways. We've talked about that already in this series. Paul has pushed back against that kind of thinking. But the gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Let me give you an example. All over the New Testament, we see um, instructions and encouragement to pray, to ask, right, to seek, to not knock. Unfortunately, many of us, if we looked at our prayer lives and, and we did sort of an audit of them, we would say that maybe much of our prayers tends to be asking God for for things, uh, petition, right? Um, and I would want to say that that is a part of prayer, and the Lord wants us to do that. He wants us to ask Him for things, and unfortunately, the majority of our prayers uh, are filled with those things at the expense of some other things. 
Many times for us, our prayer lives heat up whenever things are not going well, right? They heat up in a real time of need, a real time of desperation. And because God's purpose alone for prayer isn't just to petition Him, um, that means that the call to prayer that we see in the Scriptures is a call to something bigger and more than that, right? God's purpose, the call to pray, and the way that we can understand how our acceptance moves us this direction is when we know that we are loved and that we are accepted by God, we belong to Him as we begin to move towards prayer, our primary motive isn't to get things from God, but rather to get more of Him. We want to fellowship with God. We want to communicate and be with Him. We don't want to pray just to get things from God because we're already accepted by God, so we enter into a time of prayer to get Him. Again, I'm not saying that you don't ask God for things. We should, but Paul's reminder here is that we do not get saved by believing the gospel and then we grow by trying hard to live according to biblical principles. Believing the gospel is not only the way to meet God, but it is also the way that we grow into him. And it is our acceptance in him that is what moves us then to freely obey. Now, as we come to the rest of our passage, Paul, after reminding us of this ability now that we have to live according to the spirit, he begins to show us a few ways in which we do, we do that. And Paul does this first by looking at the way that our mind matters in our Christian walk, your mind. Look there, verse 4. Paul says that we walk in the Spirit in regards to what we value. But the mindset of a Christian is, um, is this, that, that because of the condition of no condemnation, as we begin to really live in light of that, it begins to create, it should create a new mindset which is characterized not by the flesh, but by the spirit. There is now for you a different way that you think, a different processing of information, a different value system that now dominates your mind and your life. You don't think like the world thinks. You don't think like culture thinks. You yearn for God's will to bear fruit in your lives. Let me say it this way, the believer has now been invaded by the Spirit's agenda and desires, and because of that, it has created a new orientation of your life. Your aim is to make maximum kingdom impact for God in all that you do. That was the question that prompted, I believe, the Lord's calling to plant mercy view. Um, I wasn't expecting that this was what the answer would be. But whenever I began to pray, Lord, I want to pour myself out for you, um, the answer to that question is, is, was this. And whether, um, you know, for me, that was ministry, that was where the Lord had for me, but it, the question of, Lord, I want to make maximum kingdom impact is a question that every single Christian can ask in their sphere of influence. And if you do that, that you know, ask that question and, and, and then respond to the Lord and obey the Lord in that, you are doing what Paul is talking about here. You're 
your, your orientation, because it's different, is moving you in a different direction. And that's what, that's what Paul says happens when we walk in the Spirit. It changes what we value. It changes the orientation of our life. That's why Paul goes on to say in verse 6 that those without the Spirit are both unable and unwilling to grasp those kinds of spiritual realities. And so what do they do? They rebel against God. That's what a fleshly mindset leads to. And Paul says that that ultimately leads to death. But Paul says that those who are in Christ very essence is set on the spirit and the result of that is he says here life and peace because the spirit of god in the christian uh, is is at work our course the journey that we are on is fixed towards god even when the we might stray and we do from time to time we return back to him and through that process, we re-experience life and peace. Now look, with me, if you would, at verse 7. Paul goes, goes on to say that having the mindset of the flesh is an issue because of a fundamental opposition to God. There is hostility towards God in this kind of circumstance. This results ultimately, as Paul says here, in a refusal to obey God. In fact, Paul says that those who live apart from God are powerless to obey God. And this leads to the idea that he says here, that means they cannot please God. It's a tragic statement. These people are outside of God's favor. Their relationship with God is dangerously broken. Their mindset their actions, their desires, their motivations are all in opposition to God and left to themselves. There is no way for this to ever change. And th this is a dark picture, is it not? But there is a reason that Paul is painting a dark picture here. Paul wants to do really one of two things. He wants to first say to you, if you are here this evening... And you would say, Brad, you just described me. I am and have been in opposition to God. I've actually been hostile towards God. I, I have lived apart from God. I have been powerless to obey God. Paul is wanting to say to you, that does not have to be the end of your story tonight. What Paul wants to say to you is what he wants to say to all of us tonight, even Christians here in the house. Paul wants to say that to have the Spirit, to be in the Spirit, means that you now have a, a new um, sort of posture towards life. There is something that is going to be different now if you have the Spirit. So again, if you're here tonight and you would say, Brad, my story is I'm, I'm not following Jesus. But I, I, I want the hope that comes, that you've been talking about tonight, that comes through him. I want you to listen to what, what Paul says here in verse 9. He, he says, you, right, he's making this more personal than anything that we've heard before. Again, remember he said, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But now there's this personal focus and application. And, and he says, you can have 
assurance. Now again, whether you are you know, investigating the claims of Christ or you would say tonight, I am following Jesus, we all are struggling with assurance. Assurance of our salvation, assurance that Jesus loves us. And Paul wants us to hear, here in verse 9, that the Spirit of God, if you're a Christian, dwells in you. Think about that. The living God inhabits you, lives inside of you. So if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, or again, if you're looking at the things of Christ and you were to place your faith and trust in Jesus tonight, the promise for you, the promise for us all is that God implants the Spirit of God in us. And now we have God dwelling inside of us. So Paul is saying that the Spirit now that dwells in us uh, means that you can know that you know that you are loved and that you're accepted and that you belong and that there really truly is no condemnation for you. And then notice that Paul links the Spirit of Christ to the Spirit of God as if to say you can't possess one without the other. To have the Spirit is to have Christ. To have Christ is to have the Spirit. And then he goes on to say that there is another thing that you can experience, not only assurance, but you can be given life through salvation. Paul is saying here that those who are in Christ possess the Spirit of life. What does that mean? If the Holy Spirit's control and mindset takes over your mind or your mouth or your marriage or your dating or your relationships or your career, there will be life in those things like never before. In a small and incomplete way, there are aspects of God's kingdom that are going to be brought to bear even in the midst of a difficult relationship or a, a, a difficult marriage or a, a challenging time in your career. The spirit that is in us gives life. In fact, Paul drills this down in verse 11. It's something we say a lot around here at Mercy View if you've been with us for a while. The Christian is given life both in the here and now and in the future because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. This is where this comes from, by the way, when we say that. The Father raised the Son from the dead by the Spirit, and it is this powerful person of the triune God who now dwells in you, if you're a Christian, and assures you that you belong to God in real time. And the triune God also reminds us that we will defeat death once and for all in the future. So, friends, as believers... We can now look to our futures, and those futures can be filled with hope because the defeat of death has begun with Christ's resurrection and has been started, has been inaugurated by the coming of the Spirit. No matter how difficult or bad or broken things become in the world around us and in our lives, we can know that there is coming a day when the breath of God will give life to our dead and buried bodies. What, what hope we have. Right with, with that truth, that reality, what hope the Christian has. So friends, I want to end here. The truths that we've looked at tonight really remind me of another truth. And it's this. No one is more influential in your life than you are. 
What I mean is no one talks to you more than you do. Here's the second thing I want to invite you to see this evening. Preaching the gospel to yourself will bring life and peace. You may have, may have heard us say this here before at Mercy View, but the way that, that we do that, the way that we get that gospel, that life, that peace into our lives is that we actually talk to ourselves. Actually, we like to say we preach to ourselves. So how do we do that if we look at today's passage? Well, when we hear and see that the Spirit is in us and the Spirit is at work in us, it should, and that word should carries a lot of weight here, it should bring a deep sense of reassurance to you that you are in Christ. But I think if we were honest, many of us struggle with that assurance. Doubt and skepticism and frustration, even despair press in on us and we can quickly lose sight of that assurance. But preaching the gospel to ourselves is, is a kind of a, I would call it a spiritual discipline. I would add it to the list because it is something that we need to be doing regularly because you and I lose track often with bad memories, bad belief systems. We don't believe that God loves us. So preaching the gospel to ourselves is a discipline that we may need to engage in more. And I actually see it both as a proactive and a reactive discipline. Let me tell you what I mean by that. It's reactive because as we encounter temptation or frustration, and we are aware of that, and we reflect back on our sin and our circumstances, instead of moving into despair, we evaluate them through the lens of the gospel. So it is something that we um, preach to ourselves because we are becoming aware in a reactive way to our sin, but it's also proactive. It goes on the offense, like when we feed our souls in some regular rhythms before uh, the events and tasks and disappointments of daily life begin streaming our way, we can actually find that we are prepared to meet those things with life and with peace. How do we do it? Well, we, we have to gaze on the beauty of Christ. You heard Ryan say earlier that one of the ways that we grow in Christ is by beholding I like to say beholding is becoming. Beholding is becoming like Christ, but also it's, it's, it's allowing us, it's, it's, it's shaping us so that the gospel is the lens by which everything begins to make sense. So we have to gaze on the beauty of Christ. We have to remember who we are as a child of God, preach that truth to ourselves. We have to rest in his power and his provision. And then we do need to act in reliance on him. The spirit is there to help us. Really, Paul's point in this particular part of Romans 8 is to say that God has given you himself in the form of his spirit inside of you to dwell in you. So lean in to the spirit. Let's, let's gaze more deeply at the truths of the gospel through the, the power that the spirit gives us. And so as we begin to do that, we may begin to, just as I did as a kid with those pictures begin to get a different perspective about our position in Christ. Maybe, just maybe, if we allowed the Spirit to do that work in our lives, we would see and experience the fuller 3D picture of who we are in Christ. And the promise 
of this passage is that as we do that, friends, you and I will experience the joy and the peace and the life that comes from living in step with the Spirit. Let's pray together.